Welcome to the special 50th edition of Kiwi Talks. My guest today runs uh, the NZ Everyday Investor podcast, and it's great, by the way. And he is also a financial advisor himself. I'd like to welcome Darcy Angaro. Sweet. Did Thanks, I pronounce Chris. that right? You did, man. That was really good. Thank good. you. Good. How are you doing? Really good. Really good. Yep. So um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, how did you end up becoming a financial advisor? Because it's not exactly... Yeah. The job I think people dream of doing. Did you? Yeah, kinda... you're right. You're right. It isn't the job. Like <laughs> I, I, I certainly didn't dream of doing this job. Yep. Um, I think that, and to be honest, I'm still trying to figure out what the job is. Right. <laughs> Don't tell anyone I said that. Well, but... it's working. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you? So I, I became this. I guess in the absence of being able to become something better. Does that make sense? Like it sounds really terrible, right? But when I finished my degree, I couldn't get a job, and it took me six months. To, to get a job. And then when I did get a job, all I could get a job at doing was a commissioned only, basically a glorified sales advisor for um, a mortgage broken company. Right. And so that was my first entry point into a, a job, a proper job, which didn't involve actually, f you know, doing physical labor mm -hmm. after university. And, um, and that was hard. And I think I've probably mentioned this before, probably on my, my podcast, I guess that uh, maybe even for the first year, I would have made more by not working and just being on the benefit because that's how that's how hard it was. It was hard from every angle, you know, didn't have any money, didn't have any means, didn't have any opportunity, just was just working at whatever I could actually apply myself to just to get through. How long ago was it? Uh, that was about 17 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. quite a so while. So it, it was a baptism by fire, I guess you could say, or it, no, 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 that's probably a bad analogy. It was more... It's more of, um, you know, you're, you're trying to do something, but nothing's actually happening. Mm. So it was quite a weird place to be in where there was there was a lack of for quite a long time. And then eventually things started to pick up and just kept kept going. Okay. So that's how I got into it. Right. Yeah. Okay. So to answer your question, just be aware, any question you ask me <laughs> may turn into a five to 20 minute answer, but I'll try my best to, that's to right. keep it Hey, there's yeah. a lot of people that come on the show and go on tangents. It's cool. fine. So right. we've got a lot of time, so it's all good. Cool. Um, so in regards to the podcast, how did that come into it? So two years ago, two, two and a half years ago, I, mm. I caught up with a fellow by the name of Paul Spain and Paul Spain heads up podcasts.nz yep. and he also hosts the um, the Tech podcast. Tech podcast, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, it was a uh, just a, just an encounter I had with him. And I was just saying, hey, wouldn't it be really cool to do some sort of podcast on, I think at the time I was talking about property. I said, you know, there's so many cool things that we could talk about with property. We sh you should do that. Or, you know, I'd be keen to do that. And then um, one thing led to another. And then it was kind of just slipped into it. But in the process, the idea of the NZ Everyday Investor was born because there were other podcasts out there that were covering property already. And it is, you can go pretty deep with property in terms of dis discussing it, but there's so much more to be done, I think, by going shallow and wide, if that makes sense, like staying shallow in a good way, but keeping the topic as broad as possible. So property is just one of the ways that Kiwis use to build wealth, but there are other ways as well. Why don't we talk about that? Um, so that's kind of how we, we got into doing it on investing rather than on just property or anything else. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, we just, I wrote a list of topics that we could cover and people that we could potentially catch up with and then set about to try to book them in. And yeah, my very first guest was the author of a book called where to live in, and then your favorite city, right? So where to live in Hamilton or right. where, where to live in Dunedin. That, that was his his thing. So I got him on and we talked about how to identify the best place in your city to live on. That was my very first episode. And now we're at 200 and I think 205 coming up soon. Wow. Okay. Is that right? No. What am I talking about? 105. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I'm like, man, that's a lot of podcasts. <laughs> that's pretty busy, yeah. No, yeah. 105 episodes in, yeah. But even 105 is good. Hey, 50 is good too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm catching up to you though. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> so when yeah. when someone comes to you and they want some financial advice, yeah, what are some of the common things that they come to you about? Yeah. And yeah, and just to be clear, yeah, the, the podcast is very different to, I guess, what I do as an advisor of in the day job. There's a little bit of overlap, but it's very different. But yeah, yeah. so typically if someone comes to me, they'll be having a chat around. I like, I, I like to call myself a bit of a GP of, 
financial advisors. I, I won't go super deep and super detailed. I don't get too analytical. But when people come and see me, usually they have an awareness of their financial situation to the point where they recognize and appreciate where they're at to some degree, mm. or they have a sense they want to move forward in some way. And I'm there as a facilitator just to have a discussion yep. around what you could do. So you you own a property and you're going to be thinking, right, at some stage, I'm going to be renovating, I'm going to be selling and buying something bigger, I'm going to turn it into a rental, I'm going to buy a bigger home with my new partner, whatever the story is. That'll be one common thing. Or, hey, I've been paying my down, my mortgage down really aggressively. Um, I've got KiwiSaver going on. I'm self-employed. I know I should be doing something more than just repaying my mortgage, surely. What else should I, should I be doing? And so that starts another discussion. So there's like an infinite set of discussions that can go from that. But the idea is that, again, keeping it really broad, pretty, pretty shallow, but wide, um, you can start to, I guess, pick apart what people are currently thinking about and then run with that. So it could be, it could be anything, Reese, like you, you, you name it, name a scenario and we can start there and then we can have a discussion on that and tie okay. money into it. Well, a common one that I know, particularly within my inner circle is debt, like just paying off debt first. Cool. Um, so why do you think so many people get into debt in the first place? Yeah. And there's a big difference, right, between, you know, asset debt, say like a residential Correct. property as opposed to owning a car. Yeah. Yeah, which is depreciating. Yeah. Value. Yeah. Yeah, and this is probably why a lot of people say there there you know there's good debt and there's bad debt. You probably would have heard that yeah. that before. And I think most most people would agree that bad debt is debt that you take on board uh, while you're chasing consumer goods. So you want to go to Rarotonga, which might be possible soon. Yes. <laughs> you you want to get that new car, yeah. um, but you don't have the savings yet to pay for it or whatever it is, new TV. Yeah. And so consumer debt. So the reason I think why a lot of people do get into that type of debt is because they, they, they're excited about the latest gadget, the latest thing. It's visual. It's in front of them. It's tangible. And they want to pursue that even at the expense of their means, like ahead of what their means will, will allow for. Maybe there's a certain sort of uh, peer pressure as well. I'm not sure. But when you're the only one that shows up with a flip phone to an iPhone party, you feel like a bit of a knob, right? So yeah, that's right. There's probably a little bit of that that goes on. Yeah. And you're know, sure of a, some of us like to think that we're better than that. But really, at, at a different level, we probably all play that game to a certain extent. I think we all do, yes. It's just yeah. whether you're aware of it or not. You yeah. might not even be aware that you're you're doing that. You're spending money on stuff that, you know, is probably out of your price range or you yeah. currently can't afford. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a whole a whole bunch of stuff in that, right? Like yeah. If you think about, you know, number one, are you are you saying that you're you don't deserve it, right? Like, because some people might think, well, hey, I deserve that. Um, therefore, it's fine for me to get this on higher purchase because. Hey, I've, I really worked hard. I, I deserve some sort of reward. Mm. Um, and on the flip side, you could say, well, with some people, they actually don't live their lives very well because they they think that they don't deserve anything. And so for some people, you know, it's, it's not a hard and fast answer that you should avoid consumer debt at all costs, because for some people, maybe there is a time and place for it, which might sound really controversial. But in some instances, maybe maybe it is actually okay. Like, i.e., when you know that there's a lot of money coming to you shortly and you just can't wait, therefore you, you're doing it, right? So it, I don't think it's enough to say, hey, it's, it's wrong, but it is mostly wrong for most people most of the time, just staying away from that type of debt, consumer debt. Um, but good debt is what I'm all about. And I define good debt as, hey, any debt that you take on board, whether usually it is mortgage debt, but any debt that you take on board, which is used to acquire something, which is growing in value at a rate which is faster than the servicing costs of that debt. Right. Which is a big sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really big sentence. But what I'm saying is that if, if you can, if it costs you say, let's take this property as an example. Um, let's say we own a home and it costs you $2,000 a month to pay the bank for the use of their money to buy this property. Right. But this property is growing in value at a rate which exceeds the the cost of you servicing that mortgage. Let's say $2,000 a month, $24,000 a year. So if this property value is increasing at a rate which is greater than $24,000 a year, 
you could say that the mortgage debt used to buy this home was good debt because it actually was a tool that was used, you know, le leverage, a tool that was used to build wealth for you. Mm. So like that's not consumer debt because you haven't bought a car which is going down in value. You're buying an asset which is increasing in value. Whether you want to call it an asset is another discussion, but <laughs> you're buying a home which is increasing in value. That's just one of the ways that you could look at the different different types of debt. You know, consumer debt, you're buying stuff which is going down in value. Good debt, mortgage debt, you're buying something which is going up in value. That's the name of the game. Because residential property is probably what the most predominant way of cons well investing within New Zealand. Do you think Kiwis yeah. invest that way? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Like there's, there's a couple of ways that you can use um, debt to buy shares, but yeah. for the most part, when people are using good debt to build something that's growing in value, they're usually borrowing from the bank to buy an investment property, or even buying a bigger property for themselves. Would you encourage people to use the equity from their home to buy shares, though? Um, yeah. So it's it's I guess it's like anything where you say, like. <laughs> Well, there's not, I suppose it's not black and white. It depends on the Thank scenario. You. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're spot on. So the main thing is, I guess, for some people, knowing that it's an option is actually a good thing mm -hmm. because I'm of the opinion that if you, um, if you have an itch to scratch and you don't scratch it, it could lead to a bigger rash somewhere else. And what I mean by that is that <laughs> it sounds quite bizarre <laughs> saying that, but what I mean is that if you are a, a risk taker, if you do believe in taking some degree of financial risk, and you'll know because you're probably buying lotto tickets every week or going to the TAB. You know, you, you like the sense of risk. Uh, to a certain extent, you do need to exercise that in a very safe and controlled way. Mm. And that's where using debt to get into more shares is an option. Right. Um, and there are platforms that you can use um, where you can buy contracts for difference. difference but that's just basically you're taking a bet on the direction of a share. And that's where it's very, very close to gambling. It pretty much is gambling. Um, but think of it as a spectrum. And then you move along that spectrum to things like getting a, a margin account at your bank so that you can buy shares through their online banking platform. But you can actually borrow against the value of the shares, much like you would borrow against the value of your home, right? Right. So it's the same sort of concept. Um, and then you kind of move a little bit further on the spectrum where you have a mortgage on your home and you want to invest at the same time. In a sense, you can do a little bit of both or you can do a lot of one at the expense of the other. You could repay your debt really aggressively or you could invest really aggressively, but you can't do both aggressively. So you could be seen to be borrowing to buy more shares if you choose not to repay your mortgage at the expense of investing more somewhere else, like KiwiSaver, for example. Right. So instead of topping up your mortgage payments by $100 a month, you're now paying $2,100 a month on your mortgage you could um, increase your KiwiSaver contributions by $100 a month. And that's borrowing effectively to invest. Do you encourage people to diversify with their investments? Yeah, I do a lot of things actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I can see that. that. Could be, I can see that. Okay, and that could be one of them, right? Yeah. yeah. So di so diversifying could be, you know, starting with somebody who doesn't even own, own their own home. You know, diversifying could actually mean, hey, I've got my student loan, I've got my higher purchase and my credit card debt. Let's actually diversify your investments. Actually, for them means let's figure out a plan to get rid of those debts really efficiently and tackle the highest interest one first. So, but sometimes sometimes you may wish to diversify how you do that, right? depending on how the bank, who you eventually want to talk to to get a mortgage, will view that. So that's mm. one sense of diversification. But then you, you've got a property owner and they're looking to either um, not repay their debt aggressively at the expense of investing into, you know, at the... Yeah, at the expense of investing more into shares, at the expense of not repaying their debt quickly, that's in a sense diversification as well, right? Because you're you're getting into two different asset classes. You're not getting rid of debt on property. You're buying more into equities. Um, and then the other one could be we're just throwing some examples out there, but the other one could be um, you're a property investor and you own your own home, but you want to buy a property in a different area which has different characteristics. Like it might not work very well in terms of the rental income that it creates, but it's in a it's in an area which will grow in value quite quickly. So it's good good capital gains prospects is what we call that. Right. Um, versus your home, which might make a good rental because it gives you 
good rental income, but it doesn't grow in value very fast. So that's diversifying across two different types of properties, which have different characteristics within an asset class. So it gets pretty complicated and convoluted really quickly here, but yeah. there's diversification on diversification that you can go deep with diversification and how you how, how far you want to go. So how do you explain this to people? Because I imagine you yeah. talk to people and they don't know anything. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I draw a line. That's pretty much how I start. So let's say you're my, you're my client and I, I catch up with you. I'm going to draw a line and it'll start with, hey, here, here's where you're at right now. Here's where you're dead. Here's some significant events that you see happening in your life. You know, maybe there's kids coming up. You're going to have, you know, two or three kids. You might see yourself selling and buying in, uh, into a different area for the school requirements. And then we'll skip all the way to retirement. Do you see any inheritance coming your way? Do you see that you might have to look after your parents? Um, right when do you think you're going to die that that's a whole other conversation but the distance between retirement and death is really important and that's kind of what we're all trying to figure out and fumble our way through as we go through our lives is how do we prepare for this 20 to 30 year period of time where we're going to be dependent on reserves that we've built up that's kind of in essence what we would talk about but we would then focus in on the very first decision that you've got and that's usually yeah. what's what's been in your mind recently. And then we just flesh that out a little bit. Okay. But I'd imagine there's a lot of people there. Their primary goal is to own a house. Yeah. And obviously you live in Auckland. I used yeah. to live in Auckland. Yeah. I know how difficult it is. You know what it's like to be me, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. pretty hard. You know, I mean, yeah. average house prices are, what, a million, I think now, or close to it. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, I mean, I talk to some people in Auckland and they're just like, oh. They just feel like it's so far out of reach. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Obviously, that's the goal, not necessarily just as an asset, but just so you can live in a house that's yours. Um, so how would you approach someone or will someone approach you in terms of how you go about doing that? Would you encourage them to just merely just save money or would you advise them to invest in other areas? I see. And, and utilize that right. to purchase a house later. So let's say you um, you might not have the means to buy the property in that expensive area that you really would like to be. Do you, A, just keep saving and prepare or B, buy in an area that you can't afford? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Because I'd imagine even if you're yeah. saving, yeah. the house uh, value is going to go up yeah. more than how much you can save anyway. Yeah. By the time you save that amount, the I don't know, the price has risen by a couple of percent or something. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you're right. Like I think most most people, even if it's a couple, even if they're on pretty good income, they usually can't save even, or they usually just can't even keep up with saving at the rate of 20% of the purchase price. In other words, it's really, it's almost impossible to save for just the deposit for the average house price when it's increasing by say 10% a year. Particularly if you're renting and the rent is not cheap either. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a tough one. Eh? And, and it's, I guess this is where you just have to, in the back of your head, always know that it's not fair. Like the system isn't fair. <laughs> oh, yeah. It definitely isn't. But there's nothing um, you can do to change it, right? No, no. And I think a lot of people do pause there, though, and they usually kind of get stuck because they get stuck on the injustice of it all. And yeah. I think, you know, you kind of have to acknowledge the fact that, it, yeah, it is actually, it is actually unfair. Um, and then you just have to keep on going and do the best that you can which might be to, yeah, just keep on saving, might be to buy an investment property later on. But let's just say that you're a, a young couple on a modest income, you're paying rent and you're living in Auckland. You, you can't really afford to own there. Um, but say maybe when you do have kids and those kids are ready to enter into school, you'd really actually rather be living in Tauranga where the parents live or where you have family because mm. often when you have kids, you want to go where family is. So maybe the idea could be, hey, let's actually work together to get a plan in place to buy your first home, which is tomorrow's home, but at today's price. So it's tomorrow's home in that it's really only fit for purpose for you as a family of four. Right now, it's just the two of you, and it's in Tauranga. We're going to assume that at some stage, you might want to live down in Tauranga because right. that's what you've said maybe. Um, so the idea would be, hey, you're, you're cool with renting. Just stay renting. That's fine. You know, you need to be in this town because it's that's where the work is. But let's let's at least work towards owning a home, which is going to be fit for purpose for some part of your life. 
Um, so for some people that might even be their retirement home. Who knows? Maybe yeah. maybe they can't afford to do this right now, but they they do want to live uh, in Huntley for their retirement. Who knows? Who knows? So <laughs> thriving in retirement place. Who knows? It might be by the time we get there. But maybe maybe they've missed the boat on the whole owning your own home in Auckland or in a bigger city like place like, like say you know Hamilton or Tauranga. They've missed the boat. They they've been locked out. Yeah, yeah. But they can do something. They can still look at all of the properties they may ever need in their life and choose one. Maybe one of them they could own now and just put a tenant in there for now, you know, get it, get someone to rent it out off of them for now so that their holding costs are covered. And what they've effectively done is they've locked out all of the property inflation that will happen between now and when they one, one day want to live in it. That's kind of the idea. Yeah. Um, but like saving for your first home is, is soul destroying. Oh, it because is. It, it's just it's such a big task. Like It is, it is. And it feels like it gets harder. I think each generation... Yeah, it's more difficult. Yeah, it does. Um, like, when did when did you buy? If you don't mind me asking, when did you buy your first? Home? Uh, well, I'll give you a bit of backstory. I mean, obviously, yeah. I was living in Auckland, and uh, just with the type of work I was doing, I was thinking to myself, "How the hell am I ever going to be able to afford a house here?" Uh, and then I kind of realized. Well, actually, I calculated because I was in traffic quite a bit, and I worked out I spent thirty six days a year in traffic. And I was like, when I added all the all the time up, I'm yeah. like, that is ridiculous. That is time I never get back. And then the second thing was, I was like, okay, I can never afford a home here, at least on my own, because uh, I was I was by myself at the time. So I was like, well, what can I do? And based on the type of work I was doing, I could I realized that I could get paid the same here, and you know the the, the house okay. the house prices were way cheaper. So gotcha. it was actually viable. Yeah, there gotcha. was actual prospect of me actually owning a home so yeah uh so that's why i chose to do it that way but i imagine this and i know a lot of people like this who are just very stubborn yeah you know and fall back into the you know this is not fair thing yes how do you change their mindset though when i mean because they must come to you this is my dream and then you're probably crushing it in some some ways totally (laughs) the dream crusher whoops and especially on like a Friday, right? Never, never talk to me on a Friday. Yeah, Because yeah. uh, I'm in dream crushing mode. Because I've heard it all throughout the week, and my patience gets. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not not necessarily not necessarily true. But just going back to what you were saying before, Reese, was, I thought it was pretty cool. So what you did when you made the decision to buy this place was cool in that you you made a list of all the available options that you could execute on, and you chose the best from that list. You didn't hang out for the ideal the elusive, the thing that was unfair, you actually made a decision based on what you could do through, I guess, rational thought. You didn't actually kind of fight the system and complain about it. No, Um, well, I don't think that works. And I think you just end up being bitter over it. I don't think it helps your mental health either. No. You know, just to to be stuck in that state. It's like, well, this is the hand you've been dealt. So just make the the best of the situation that you have. That was my viewpoint. That's but right. but even even then, when I was looking for a house, I still had an idea of the type of house that I wanted, sure. which was still unrealistic. So you kind of just have to tell yourself, okay, what am I willing to compromise on? Yeah. What can I? Does this stuff really? Is it really a necessity, or is it just yeah. something that I want? You know, yeah. that I'm coveting for. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think it's like, you know, when you go back to the problem that you're trying to solve is you know you're trying to to own a home which is good it's a good thing to do if you can do it you should strive towards it we should we all should yeah um but for some people and going back to your question i guess for some people it's harder to hear the truth about ourselves than anything else so if i was Mm. saying to you hey reese you're um no like before you bought here it's not gonna happen dude you're you're really you're looking at one million dollar properties and you're on a six hundred thousand dollar budget here don't fight the system here and, and get angry and rage against the machine just yet actually nice quote. yeah thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was just listening down down on the way down here from um well actually all the way up here from rotorua yeah um renegades of funk i was listening to it with the kids they love it well that's good rage against the machine it's like great a good for yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, there, there just needs to be some sort of filter or an app to take out those words that you really don't want your kids to to yeah, hear, like but, a beep. Yeah, yeah. But um, instead of yeah, like 
being really full of angst and just anger around the fact that you can't execute the thing that you want, blaming everybody else for that. It's well, what's the best thing that you can do and just go about and do it. What's the best thing that you can do for yourself to get yourself either out of a problem or into a better position? Just focus on that. Um, easier said than done, but <laughs> yeah, sometimes it, it takes half an hour to get to that point where, you know, I could say that, but that's, that's really important is to, it's to get real as fast as you can and to execute on the very best move that you can make. If you go any lower, that's dumb and it's going to cost you later on. If you go too high or beyond your means, you're going to get this frustration and that'll that'll spiral you out of control. It's not healthy like what you said before. It's not it's not good for your mental health. No, and there's people I know who are, I don't like saying it, but they're almost a slave to their mortgage because yeah. you know their repayments are so high that they literally can't do anything. They just have to pay their mortgage every week and then just yeah. hope that, I don't yeah. know, in 10 years that, yeah. I don't know, they can sell it and get something cheaper. I don't know. I don't well, there, know there's, there's a lot in that as well. Like, you know, they're slaves to the mortgage. The mortgage payment's too high in a falling interest rate environment. That leads me to conclude that perhaps they voluntarily made it, uh, made the mortgage payments higher. Because that's what a lot of people, especially first home buyers, do is they usually have a, to say the word notion kind of belittles it. It's not a notion, but it, they usually have a belief that they should be getting rid of the mortgage quite aggressively. And they and they eventually end up selling the property and upgrading in the process That's anyway. That's what a lot of people do, yes. Yeah, and yeah. they end up taking up more debt anyway. So they've just lived a, a really crap life as they've tried to shovel all their money away into this mortgage because they believe it's the right thing to do. And then they turn their back on that philosophy later on anyway. So I think some of that especially when interest rates have almost halved in five years. Some of that, you got to wonder, right? Like, Well, the banks are smart. Yeah. They are smart. They know how to get you to borrow money from them. And people like me as well, to be honest, Reese. Like, <laughs> I've more than a few times referred to myself as the crack dealer of mortgage debt. So take everything that I'm saying with a huge grain of salt, right? Oh, of course. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want people to think, hey, you know, it's all about getting into as much debt as you can and just getting over it. But- I think for some people, there's an element of truth to that, that if you don't push yourself hard enough, fast enough, you end up taking on board way more risk later on. Yeah. And that's, that's especially true when you're pre-children, if you intend on having children. Because as soon as those little rat bags come along and you realize that it's important to get into a better school zone, you end up wanting to sell your property and get into a nicer area. Yeah. Well, and children are like a secondary tax in some ways. That's right. And the nicest way possible. Way. Absolutely are, Reese. Yeah. You don't have children though, do you? Not yet. No, but you're very wise. You know that already. Yeah. That's well, <laughs> and one of the things uh, I was aware of before I bought a house is I, because I was single at the time, obviously the banks view you as a, a liability more so than a couple, right? So they're a bit more hesitant to lend you money, Yeah. Um, which in some ways can be a good thing because yeah. it, it stops you from getting trapped. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm quite lucky in terms of my mortgage repayments. I'm not a slave per se. Yeah. You know I can I can pay them. I can pay the repayments because it was based on your income at the time, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was conscious of that because there was a couple there was a couple of banks that did want to lend me more money. Yeah. But then I was weighing up, I was assessing the whole situation. I'm like, well, yeah. I wanted to be in the in a position where worst case scenario. I can still yes. pay off uh, my debt and or the mortgage, I should say, um, which kind of segues into my next point. Yeah, because one thing that I've always done is I've always kind of stashed money away for a rainy day, so yeah. to speak. And that rainy day is COVID nineteen. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That was pretty rainy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, with the situation at hand, uh, yeah. what would be your advice to people? Yeah. During these uncertain times. Yeah. And with the markets are just fluctuating. Bit of a roller coaster at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Like, man, there's so many um, variables. So many, yeah, there is. But I guess, like, the main thing that people will always come back to, like, if you ask anybody in the financial advice world that question, the standard answer will be just stay the course. Whatever you were doing before, try as much as possible to maintain that. Hmm. So if, and, you know, let's just assume that you're still employed fully, right? Yeah. Like if you're still employed fully and there's actually no real risk to your employment, you know, you've tested it out and you're pretty confident that your employment is solid, 
then in terms of your investment strategy, whether it be choosing what, what type of KiwiSaver fund you're in, um, as it relates to your mortgage, you know, how aggressive do you repay the debt? How long do you fix it for? All that sort of stuff. Whatever you were thinking beforehand, think it again, more or less now. You shouldn't necessarily be changing your strategy in light of changing uh, of a changing environment. Um, whatever your strategy was should have been designed and thought of and born in a stable environment, free from changing dynamics around you, because we're going to go through that a lot. Well, so, this is going to be an ongoing thing for years, I'd imagine. Yeah, that's right. Well, this 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 one event will be for sure. Yeah. Um, just as it was, I guess, you know, with with World War Two. Just like yeah, you know, there, there's going to be events like the global financial crisis. Um, there's going to be events that throw us into a tailspin for a few years. And if you look back, even in the last fifty years, there's there's more than ten that I can think of. Yeah. That that happened since then that has tipped us into a bit of a wobble. So how we react to that, I think, is really important. It says a lot about who we are rather than, you know, necessarily our position in life. Yeah. But how we how we respond to those things. So that's one what's one way of looking at it is hey, just stay the course. Don't flip out. Don't freak out. Don't change everything just because this is happening. Um, on the flip side, there is a, I guess, a school of thought around, well, Depending on you know, your, is a terrible term, financial literacy or financial capability or depending on your money knowledge and your attitude towards risk and your desire to build wealth, throwing that all into the mix and depending on who you are, maybe it is appropriate sometimes to actually think about the environment and reposition yourself accordingly. In other words, hey, the, the market has just collapsed. I've got my $5,000 saved up in my savings account. Um, you know, what about I carve off $1,000 and I put that into some shares? Why don't I do that? Because things have just pulled back seriously and I want to actually get a part of the, of the rebound. Maybe, maybe there's a bit of a storm. We come out of it like we have right now where the market's pulled back significantly in March and things kind of stabilize again. Maybe this is a golden opportunity for those who haven't yet moved their KiwiSaver fund into conservative to do so, which is completely counter to what I would tell most people. But I'm just saying that, you know, for some people, sometimes the best advice is the opposite of whatever the mainstream is saying. Yeah. Well, the problem is I find is a lot of people are like sheep. So yeah. they just follow. I mean, the toilet paper incident during lockdown is a major, <laughs> it's yeah. a perfect example, right? People yeah. are just going out and buying toilet paper when That's you don't really need to buy that much toilet paper. Yeah. And yeah. so people just see, uh, you know, one person or a group of people doing something and then they just follow it. Correct. Without even thinking about it logically. And we're yeah. probably all guilty of that in some extent. I think we are. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I don't know whether it's, say, yeah, like it's like, I'm, I'm trying to think of an analogy which doesn't involve a flock of sheep, but it's really hard because it, it, it really is about a flock of sheep, right? Yeah, yeah. And the more sheep you have around, I guess maybe there's some of those characteristics rub off on us pretty, uh, over time. But I, I think that you're right. And we often look to others to either give credit for our successes or to blame when things go wrong, when really it was our decision the whole time. Politicians. Maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> right? That's a different story, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this, 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 talk about that for, for a while as well. But yeah. I, get, I guess, though, that, like, let's just talk about an example. So in, in mid-March, the um, share markets across the world pulled back. They they went down in value quite significantly yeah. because that's when this whole COVID thing really started to, to hit the markets. And if you were invested in KiwiSaver, let's say you've you know you've only been in KiwiSaver for a while, you've got ten or fifteen thousand dollars in it. It's not very much in it, really, in the in the scheme of things. Yeah. You might not care so much if it goes down by ten percent, twenty percent. You might not really care because you don't really notice it too much. It wasn't much to begin with, but when it's close to a hundred grand, you start to notice it quite a lot, and that's where what you could have actually solidified that loss and got out of that KiwiSaver fund and moved it to a more conservative fund, which involves less volatility, but is safer. So you could have done that, but that would actually put you backwards because now you've sold out of a $100,000 fund that went down to 80, and then you sold it at 80, and you bought $80,000 worth of a fund that doesn't normally increase in value very fast. Mm. But that's what a lot of people did do in mid-March. 
it was a knee-jerk reaction. A lot of people did that. But the, the trends show that that's usually what happens anyway. It comes down and then it goes back up, doesn't it? So That's right. So, so if we could just have a hot tub time machine for a minute, yeah. <laughs> we, we would know that, right? Yeah, yeah. But we don't. And so every time it happens, we think this time it's different. This time the world is going to hell in a handcart and maybe I need to get out right now. So there was, there was a lot of people that did that. Um, somewhere between one and a half to $2 billion worth of KiwiSaver funds <laughs> migrated from you know, more moderate to high growth funds to conservative low risk funds during that period of time. Maybe it was one or two, then everybody else started doing it like a flock of sheep, who knows? Um, or maybe it was just a natural knee jerk reaction. I'm panicking, what do I do? Um, but you know, maybe the best, well, now we know that the best decision was to leave it in there even though your $100,000 fund just went down to 80, now it's pretty close to 100 grand again. Yeah, well, I um, was thinking that. I was like, should I pull it out? Should I not pull it out? I was like, oh, what do I do? Yeah. I think the colonel, the colonel guys were like, no, yeah. don't pull it out. Yeah, that's right. And I listened to them. Yeah, now that they're smart guys. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think, though, that uh, there's a certain sort of um, arrogance, though, when, say, people like me say that that is the strategy to follow every time. You know what I mean? Like, the market's pulled back, stay the course, don't panic. It would be arrogant for anyone in my position to say that that's the answer every time. Well, it's not one size fits all. No. Yeah. Like what happens if you were looking to buy a property in the next one year as your first home yeah. and you wanted to withdraw that money? Well, maybe now is a great time to get into a conservative fund. Or yeah. even people who are retiring, you know, and they yeah, might need the money. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If they're going to be using that fund, those funds first. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like, I think... In this space as well, like in the money space, everybody's looking for a blog which just tells them everything they need to know, the five things you should know, the seven hottest tips to do this. And I think the problem is, is number one, again, it puts them up on a pedestal, the, whoever's writing that as, hey, they're, they're the money expert. And number two, if you don't follow it, you've somehow failed by somebody's standards. And who decides that? Yeah, who does decide that? And anyone can upload anything and put anything on the internet. Yeah. And make it sound like it's a reputable source. Yeah. And I think, you know, like there, there needs to be a certain a, a sense of, um, because we need to we need to be personally responsible for the content that we consume um, in, in this space around money. Because if we don't, like if we subscribe to a school of thought, um, you can't blame that school of thought when it doesn't work for you. Yeah, that's you right. <laughs> so, but that's unfortunately what a lot of people do. Um, you know, and it's you, you, if, if you want to have access and exposure to different people's points of view, you need to you need to be comfortable with the fact that sometimes those points of view are going to conflict and they don't quite mesh up. And, and there's, mm. there's a bit of beauty in that tension sometimes. It could probably cause some inner turmoil, though, I imagine. Do yeah, you totally. do you get a bit of that from obviously hosting a podcast and then you talk to people and yeah. you're like, uh, oh yeah, yeah, does it oh, change just, your viewpoint? I suppose absolutely. Like yeah. I think, you know, I, I've been doing this for 17 years and I still feel like I, I barely know what the heck I'm doing. You know, in terms of trying to figure out how it all works, I don't. You know, the the more I realize that it, it, <laughs> it, it doesn't work. It just it's just this whole chaotic, this beautiful chaotic thing. Yeah. You know? how to make money, how to grow wealth. There's no answer there. Um, but you you do have to be comfortable with these two opposing thoughts resting in your mind. You know, do you um, get down that debt level first before you invest? Or do you do both at the same time? Or do you go interest only and just invest as much as you possibly can? Um, active versus passive management. Um, you know, picking individual shares versus just buying a fund, like what the Colonel guys would have yeah, talked about. Yeah, yeah. The, there's so many different pockets of school of schools of thought. You know, being frugal versus, um, yeah, I don't know what the opposite of that is. Unfrugalness, loose, whatever the word <laughs> is. Right? Yeah. But you've got you've got to hold these really uncomfortable truths in balance at the same time because especially when you're in the space that I'm at, because for some people they need to be exposed to a certain part of it. Um, you know that that movie quote, you can't handle the truth? A few, I think it's A Few Good Men, right? Yeah, yeah. You can't, yeah. Handle, you can't it, handle the truth. It's totally true, man. Yeah. So we, we cannot handle the truth, but it's usually the truth about ourselves. So if you get exposed to the truth about yourself by somebody else, you're either going to take it on board or you're going to reject it. And it's and that's because you're not ready to hear it at the moment or because it wasn't the truth to begin with for you. Well, you can sometimes go into the fight or flight mode. Yeah, just freak go, out, Go on the defensive, yeah. 
Totally. And, and, but I think, and that's, that's why it's, it's weird, right? Because when you're in the business of giving advice, you've got to be mindful of that. Like there's so many different levels going on, right? Um, yeah. Cause I imagine you'd, you'd have to approach each person differently. Like even, totally. even in terms of me doing this podcast, like when I have a guest on, I kind of have to feed, I, I got to make sure that my energy levels at the same as them and kind of be on their level. Yeah. So they understand me. I understand them. That's right. And every person's different. Not everyone can do that, Reese. That's pretty good. Actually, I try to be good people, at it. A lot of people can't do it. Actually, I think that's the difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how do you how do you do that? Because obviously, someone comes in, and I'm sure you don't have a template that you follow. You kind of listen to them first. Yeah. Hear them out, and then from then, is there sometimes where you're thinking to yourself, okay, if I give this person the truth, yeah, are they going to be able to handle it? Yeah. 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 Totally. There's, there's, yeah, that's absolutely right. And they're either going to, you know, they'll react to it by saying, no, that's not true because of this, this, and this, or they'll hear it, but they'll kind of just internalize it. Um, dwell on it. Yeah. You know, and either dwell on it or just completely disregard it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's a yeah. tough one. Cause you have, you have to kind of acknowledge the fact that, Hey, sometimes it's not the, the information which I have, which is the standard, you know, like it's just my interpretation or it's my viewpoint of what I think they should hear. Right. So you have to kind of always humble yourself and yeah. I'm constantly kind of just trying to humble myself to, to make sure I'm in check and I'm not assuming that I know more than them because that's actually yeah. not what it's about. It's not about knowing more than them, but I need to always just remember that hey, they're actually a person just like I'm a person and all I'm really doing is I'm I'm speaking to them and I'm I'm trusting that in the art of that conversation somehow something will get unlocked that will help them. Yeah. And it does. It's magic. I don't know how it works, but it's magic. Um, but it's definitely not knowledge. It's not me being smarter than them. So it's it's a weird thing that happens that way because you like you say you have to kind of get on their wavelength and like receive who they are as a person, acknowledge that, and then talk to them at where they're at, not some other level. It's a hard thing to do, though, because I'd imagine. I mean, I've had people come to me for financial advice. Yeah, don't know why, but yeah, uh, maybe it's your next career, dude. <laughs> maybe. Well, I'll definitely come to you first before, <laughs> if I decide to go down that road. But you know, there's some people that may come to me for advice, but they're not actually willing to hear that advice. And sure. in your case, obviously, these people are are paying you for your financial yeah. expertise. Yeah. So, but if they if if they are not in a position where they're even willing to hear you out. Yeah. Then how do you get them to do that? Even if they are paying you, I yeah. imagine. Yeah. So it's it's a tough one, right? Because normally they wouldn't be sitting in front of me unless they were they were willing to hear it. And I guess this is probably where we should, I guess, just make 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 the point where there is um there are so many different types of financial advisors in in New Zealand. Mm. And, and that's a good thing. That's oh, a, yeah, they, definitely. You know, there's no right type of financial advisor, but you do need to understand what motivates them, what powers them, how they get paid, whether they charge fees or whether they're getting paid a commission. Um, but yeah, I, I operate a model where it is fee-based and therefore I know that someone's probably not going to pay me a fee without being a little bit open-minded to hearing something. You know what I mean? Like they're not going to come along with completely a closed mind because I wouldn't be sitting in front of them because they, they had to pay there to be there. Right. So, but when it's, because I've only been doing that for about seven years or so charging fees before that I was relying on just a, a commission that would come in if I arranged a mortgage or sold, sold an insurance policy back, right. back in the day. So all of my advice, I was basically giving it away for free. Uh, in the hopes that at least half of the people I spoke to would eventually buy something that I could make money out of, mm. which is which is how a lot of advisors work. Um, but for me, that didn't sit right because I wanted to actually start giving advice which wasn't tied into the deployment of some sort of mortgage because that's not appropriate for everybody. Um, but what happened in the process of moving to more of a fee-based model is that I didn't end up sitting in front of anybody that wasn't ready to hear what I had to say. So I kind of got rid of that, but I, I know what you're talking about, and it's not—it's not—it's weird, eh? it's, but it's like having children. You know, you're constantly giving them advice, and they don't listen to it. So, oh well, yeah, I mean, have, I have people in my social circle that come to me for advice. I'll tell them what to do, and then they'll do the opposite of what I tell them to do, yeah. and I'll be like, "Why did you? 
Why did you come? Why did you even ask me for yeah, advice? Yeah. It's okay if you don't listen to what I say, but just make it really clear, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and to be honest, like, I, I get that as well, you know, where people don't don't follow the advice. And I think, yeah, Is that's... Is frustrating though? Um, but I suppose you can't get, you can't get emotionally yeah, I wouldn't attached say it's, it's, um, to, to that, I suppose, because yeah. you have to disconnect yourself from it. Yeah, I I guess it's, again, I'll go back to the fact that it's not really about me having the answer sometimes. Sometimes it's, I just have to honestly ask myself, well, maybe the advice that I was giving them wasn't actually right. Mm. Maybe it was sound. It was, it was based in concrete theory. Um, maybe it seemed appropriate for them in the age and stage that they were at, but maybe it wasn't actually right. Who knows? Um, and that's where I'm constantly kind of, you know, humbling myself, you're know, trying to humble myself, but also think about, well, um, it's not so much the words that I'm giving them, it's the power of those words. You know, it's, um, they may have heard something, because I've seen this all the time where I might have said something, but I hear five different interpretations of what I said. Um, yeah. yeah. Because it's it's not so much the power of what I'm trying to say, what I mean, it's the power of the words that I'm using to convey it. Mm. Sometimes they can take people on a different journey. So maybe... I just hope hope that maybe sometimes those words, while they didn't listen to my advice, maybe it will still accomplish some good somehow. Yeah. Do you, have pe- with it. do you have people come to you for advice on gold and cryptocurrency as well? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. It's, it's I so I um, again I kind of think of myself as a GP. So yeah. you, you you've got something that you want to talk about, and I can cover things quite broadly. Well, um, I'll ask you about gold and cryptocurrency. There we go. There Let's we go. Talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'll I'll only take you as deep as I can go because I can only go so deep. Oh, yeah, because of course, it's, of course. Yeah. But like, I'm I'm a fan of it because it's um, it's different. It's different, and it's a thorn in the side of the status quo, and I like that. Yeah, that's that's me raging against the machine right Anti-establishment, there. Anti-establishment, are you? There you go. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe I am to a certain extent, right? Yeah. Um, I'm as uh, straight and as plain vanilla as they come, um, but occasionally it might look like I've got quite a eccentric exterior. Yeah. And when it comes to best financial practice, you know, investing in gold and Bitcoin is not necessarily what most financial advisors will advise their clients to do. Well, I think a lot of people don't quite understand it. I mean, I had a guy on talking about cryptocurrency. Yeah. And it's incredibly complex. I mean, investing as it is is complex, and then know, you yeah. add cryptocurrency on top of that. Yeah, and uh, it's like, okay, what, what, what exactly are you saying? You know, because there's so much involved. I mean, it's like yeah. opening Pandora's box. Once you really get in, yeah, the cryptocurrency, you can then find yourself going down the rabbit hole. And it's like it takes a certain type of person to put themselves in a in a position where they're completely out of their depth. You know, like you're swimming in a pool, which you know you've got no chance in swimming, right? <laughs> you, everything is against you, but it takes a certain person to jump in there anyway. Are you I, one of those people? Yeah, I'm in. I've, I've taken You're the red in. or the blue. I can't remember what color pill, pill it was, but I took it ages ago. Oh, good man. And it's still working, man. Um, <laughs> but no, the um, what were we talking about? Grip, cryptocurrency. So, cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah, so gold and cryptocurrency are actually quite quite similar. But the best way to think about this is um, is that like a lot of people in the what's a what's a pleasant, nice, courteous way to describe the the i guess the incumbents those who kind of would view view investing as as, as quite as it's not simple but the view investing is a what you should be doing is you should be buying shares in businesses that are profitable right like that's what most most people would say hey that's what proper investing is mm. is you're buying shares either directly or indirectly through a fund which owns shares in multiple companies, nicely diversified, all these sorts of things. Um, but you're basically buying into businesses that are producing something of value. It's doing something. And you're sharing in a part of that gain. That's pretty much what you're doing when you're, when you're investing. So when you say that we're investing now in cryptocurrencies or we're investing in gold, we're actually buying something which technically isn't a productive asset it's not doing anything it's not producing an income it's not necessarily solving a problem it's just sitting there it's just sitting there it's just storing your wealth it's a store of wealth um it's also a medium of exchange if i had gold of a certain purity i know that it's worth x amount and you believe that as well therefore we could trade that gold for something of worth so it's a medium of exchange 
cryptocurrency right. and let's just use Bitcoin because it's easier. Um, similar, similarly, if you believe it has value like I do, at least at this very moment in time, I could give you one Bitcoin today and you know that that's worth $9,210 US worth of something. So if we both believe that and we can see that that's what it's trading for, then it's a, it's a medium of exchange. Uh, Bitcoin can also be a store of wealth like gold is, but gold's a bit more stable. So when we talk about investing in these things, we're not talking about investing in the traditional sense where you're buying shares in a co company that's producing something. You're just holding an asset in the hope that somebody else in the future will pay you more for it than what you bought it for. Right. That's kind of how you make your money out of it, or one of the ways you make your money out of it. Um, having said that, there are ways now where you can basically bank your cryptocurrency into platforms which pay you interest. So it's now starting to resemble more like what cash is, where you can get at least get interest off of it. But a lot of the criticisms that I guess people in the finance space will have against alternative investments like gold and cryptocurrency is in, is that it's kind of like you're buying into a bit of a Ponzi scheme and it's just whoever is the greater fool at the end of it to pay you more money. But when we look at shares nowadays, and let's just take this um, COVID-19 pandemic as a bit of a, I guess, an analogy where we see, we see share markets pulling back as they did mid-March and then they mysteriously start going up again. And then you've got to start asking your question, well, I thought... I thought half the world was shutting down and cafes were closing and movie theaters were closing and airlines were going out of business because they can't fly anybody. Like to me, it makes sense that the value of all these shares in these productive businesses should actually be going down, right? Would keep going down. Yeah. So why haven't they? Right? And when you start digging a little deeper and you start understanding the reasons why they haven't, then you start to question a little bit about what these things called dollars are you know what, what what do they do what what are they actually good for and what are the risks involved with centering our lives around these dollars so not to get too far down the rabbit hole which it looks like we've already probably slipped myself into here but that's yeah, right the um the gold in the cryptocurrency thing or any alternative investments especially when they take on board i guess money characteristics they can become quite powerful because they're actually anti the status quo, they're, they're the ultimate hedge. Because if I was to buy shares in Tesla right now, I think today they're at like just over 1500 US dollars per share, which is insane. If you've been following Tesla in the last year, um, it's insane what they're worth right now. It doesn't make sense. But when you, um, when you look at it, it's denominated in US dollars. So if, if I sold my share in Tesla, I'm going to get $1,500 back. But what if that money isn't worth anything one day? What if people all of a sudden realize that, hey, there's central banks around the world that can actually just increase the supply whenever they want? What happens if everyday consumers start to lose faith in the value that dollars can hold? I'm, not, I'm, mm. I'm going kind of deep here, but bear, bear with me. That's all right. Yep. That's all right. So the, the art of this is that, and, and I think any investor should be thinking about this, is that this is a, a great example of an idea which is dangerous to mainstream thought. It's an uncomfortable idea to hold this, and I personally don't feel comfortable believing this. So take that as you wish. But if, the, if there's some truth in the fact that at some stage the current monetary system will be unwound or people will lose faith in it in some way, you should have a hedge. You should put some of your value in assets which don't correlate to dollars. And that's where cryptocurrencies, I think, and gold have their place. That actually makes very, very Phew. good sense. Yeah. That was hard. I don't right? know if the listeners will get it, but I certainly didn't. I think that's, that's good. That's, okay. that's a good way of looking at it. Cool. That's what's good. what's your uh, because with COVID nineteen and people working more remotely now, do you think there'll be much investment within commercial property because people won't be required to be working in their offices? Yeah, that's a good one. Eh? And I've been wondering about that as I as I go to work in my commercial office <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, that I that I own as well to make it even worse. But no, because I see all these for lease signs and for sale signs on oh, these yeah, other commercial these. buildings, yeah, right? Yeah, You've yeah. seen as well? Yeah. So like I know it, it, the commercial property is one of those things where, you know, like you've got property 
then you have residential and then you have commercial. And then mm. within commercial, you have all these different types of commercial. You know, you've got retail, um, retail, commercial, industrial. So it, the industrial part, I think, is interesting. So if you have an industrial commercial property, um, I think that's actually different to retail. Yes, right? like, I agree. You know, or yep. whether it be an office block, right? Because you're right, working from home trend. Yeah, people are either going to be able to scale their businesses which I think is the better way to look at it, with having less of a footprint, or they're going to get rid of the footprint they have because they don't need it. They don't need all that office space because they have 50% less staff. Um, but when it comes to the the, the industrial th thing, I think there's going to be, I don't, I don't know the right words for it, but I think there's going to be a lot more demand for, I guess, drop shipping. Yep. Um, stuff stuff like that. So there'll be cold storage. There'll be stuff stuff that doesn't involve interactions between people. And I think that's where industrial has got an edge on commercial and retail big time. That's a very, very valid point. Yeah. And they're more necessities as well, aren't they? Yeah. And say, and that's what we've seen, right? Commercial, yeah. Yeah, that's what we've seen recently. Is that we, we really depend on those necessities way more than we realized, right? Like we really depend on the courier showing up with our package. Um, whereas before it was like, we didn't really care because that was just one of the ways that we dealt with it. But I think, you know, as it relates to commercial property as well, anything that's along that supply chain from where that widget is produced to where it's consumed, you just need to look at that and think, well, what are the, the essential parts of that? And that's where I think there's wisdom in focusing your attention on that. Yeah, because they're, they're more essential to our GDP, particularly now with tourism pretty much yeah. gone. That's right. Yeah. Uh, What's your view on how you think New Zealand will come out of this? Yeah. Given that we're in a much better state than a lot of other countries. Mm. And uh, I've been seeing, you know, reports that we are in a prime position to have more investment here because we're a safe haven, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, uh, Reese, no one, no one's actually ever asked me that question. Like, uh, and it's quite weird because you'd imagine that type of question would be asked a lot. Well, I'm glad but I'm the first. Yeah, you're the first. Um, now, if I can just answer it, that would be cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, there's no way you'd know. No, no, but it's like I honestly haven't given much thought. Well, I, no, I probably have different different levels, right? I think you know, we we, we traditionally like I've I came to New Zealand in 1986. You're from Canada, right? I'm from Canada, yeah. And so I'm make sure I get that right. Yeah, well done. <laughs> so when I when I came here, the the biggest question was why have you come here? You know, like. What, who are we? Why, why would you want to, like Canada is amazing. Why would you come here? Why did you come here? Oh, that's a, that's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell me off here. We'll just say it's, oh no, it's, it's fine. We'll just say it's mainly family, right? Okay. Um, but the but the main thing is, is that back then Kiwis didn't realize how good New Zealand was. That's that's my suspicion based I on my memory. I think they still don't. Well, it probably depends. I think a lot of Kiwis who travel probably have more of an idea. Yeah. You know, until you start seeing other countries and the way other people live, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, you're you're right. You're right. I think I guess either having more foreign influence within New Zealand or having more foreign exposure. Well, particularly within yeah, Auckland. You're right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, yeah. people are starting to kind of wake up to the fact that hey, like you go to Europe, right? And you realize actually everything smells like literally smells like crap. Yeah. And it's concrete. Yeah, sure. There's old buildings, but it smells like crap. Yeah. So you come to New Zealand, everything smells like wet, moist moss. You know, that's fantastic. <laughs> Love moss. Yeah. So, like, this really is the best place in the freaking world. Like, this is the best place in the world. This is where you want to be, even in the good times, but more so in the bad times. So I think, as it, as it relates to your question, if you had means, if you had wealth, and you had freedom, you had the ability to translate your world into another space, you would you would want to come to New Zealand. You'd want to sell up and you'd want to come here or you'd want to set up yourself as, as, as a home base here. That was true before the pandemic. And you were seeing a lot of people, like a lot of, this, a lot of the Silicon Valley types, I guess you could say, were, were starting to come here from the US, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of foreign uh, interest in New Zealand, not in the way that you would think, but just in the way of, hey, we're, this is actually a physical hedge. This is where we want to be if there is some sort of Armageddon event. This is where we want to be. Well, isn't there's a whole bunch of Americans that built underground bunkers in Queenstown, isn't there? 
I think I, I think I heard that. No, I, <laughs> I think I, that's what I heard or I read. Yeah, somewhere. that's right. Was, yeah. So I think um, there was something on the Vice, um, on the Vice Network on that. Yeah. Not that I watched that, but I saw a video on YouTube around. It was like a documentary on all these bunkers that were being bought and and sent to, to New Zealand, right? Yeah. Um, like I know a lot of a lot of gold is stored in New Zealand. Really? So a, a I didn't of, know that. Yeah. Mm. There's there's a. Yeah, you and I both don't know a lot of things, right? And that's probably one of them. That's just a random little tidbit that I picked up on my journey. But yeah, a lot of gold is stored in New Zealand um, in places that only their owners know about who don't live here. Right. And I think that's part of the story of, hey, New Zealand is, a, is literally a safe haven. So the logic goes, well, in a world where there's more billionaires than ever before in, our, in the world's history – in a world which is as dangerous as it currently is, where would you want to live if you had the freedom and the means to, to choose? And I think increasingly that's New Zealand. So that's that's a story I think that was true before COVID, but- Even po- more so now. Even more so now. So how does that translate into, op- I don't know how that, I don't know what that means for the everyday person, but I certainly don't think property values are gonna be falling off a cliff. Let's let's just be pretty blunt there. I don't think so either. No. I do think that part of the problem with, say, Auckland is, I mean, you're probably, because you're from Vancouver, aren't you? Yeah, really. Yeah. 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 So, because one of the part, uh, problems I find with Auckland is if you want to work in Auckland, you have to live in Auckland. Just because we don't have a fast rail system or a good public transport system, so people can't commute from outside of Auckland into Auckland to work. Yeah. 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 Would you yeah. agree with that? No, it? yeah, spot on, spot on. And so if you're going to do it, you have to get over the fact that it's, yeah, like an hour and a half at least to commute, right? Each day, which if, as you know- If, is, if no is, more, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, and that's, that's a, it works at a certain point, right? And I guess that's why- well, It depends on what you value, I guess. Yeah, like, and if you're, if you're earning really good money and it's really important for you to be there- Makes sense. And I'll, I'll actually add on another thing. If you view your own home as some part of- an investment strategy, then which a lot of Aucklanders do, yeah. Then that's fine, right? That's a sacrifice they're willing to make because, hey, ten percent, ten percent a year growth on my million dollar property is better than five percent elsewhere. That's probably the mindset they have, and so that's why it's like, well, if I can stay in Auckland, if I can keep up with the, with the pace of life there, and, and and allow myself to be in the rat race here then, hey, I know that I've, I'm owning a property that's going to be hopefully outperforming what I could own elsewhere. I think mm. that there's a certain truth to that. That's good stuff. It is, eh? Yeah. It's good stuff, man. Good stuff. Man. Good <laughs> stuff. I feel enlightened from all this. That's good. That's good. I feel like I've just been chatting nonstop. Yeah. I have, yeah. Haven't I, Reese? Sorry about that. That's all right. That's all right. It's probably a good place to wrap up. Cool. Um, now, if anyone wants to follow you, do you have social media and all that? I do. Yeah, yeah. So prob- like probably the best thing is just to, um, if I can give a shout out to the podcast. Yeah, of course. Yeah. NZEverydayInvestor.com. It's good. It's yeah. good. I do it's listen good. to it. It's different. It's kind of like this, except I'm sitting in your chair and I talk Does it less. feel weird being on the other side? Um, no, it doesn't feel weird being on the other side, but it feels like... Um, yeah, it feels Less. like I, I probably should have thought more carefully about some of my questions, like some of the answers. Now I'm thinking, oh man, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but that's all right. I'll let your viewers work out which 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 was just like rubbish and don't listen to it, and which was good stuff. Well, what what <laughs> is value to one person is considered crap to another. So you just that's true. You don't know. Yeah, that's you know? true. That's true. People get something out of stuff and you know i mean there's some guests i get a lot out of and yeah the audience is like nah you know but it just it's weird, isn't it really it? depends yeah it's weird. like so, like some stuff that i've i've caught up with people about i think man this is so cool but then other people are like nah, just totally not into that like people people love to hear stories about personal finance right they do yeah i hate personal finance man <laughs> i think it's boring but some people most people love it so Someone in our position, what do we do? Do we cover the topics that we know people are really interested about because we want to grow our listenership? Or do you just keep focusing on the thing that you really enjoy doing, right? That's a tough, like, how do you deal with that? Uh, well, it, it, it depends. I mean, a lot of a lot of it, I try to make it as free flow as possible. So there is stuff that I prepare for, and I think uh, this will be a good thing to ask 
But then um, I try to be aware of my listeners as well and what the demographic is and what the base is and what yeah. they would probably like to hear. Yeah. So I try to mesh that with stuff that I'm interested in. That's right. Like the commercial property thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Occasionally throw, throw these guys a bone, right? But yeah, really, yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. going to talk about It's this. all about me, you know. <laughs> well, it is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, know, you put on a lot of work into this. You yeah, might as well actually enjoy yourself. Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason I like doing this in the first place is just talking to someone face-to-face. -face. Yeah. I do prefer that then, you know, because everything's going more digital and I think we're losing yeah. the art of just having a conversation face-to-face. That's right. Yeah, it's all, no, you're absolutely it's all right. this and this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Mm. Good fun, man. Keep up the good work, though. You're doing, you're doing good things. Likewise, likewise. Yeah. So where can everyone right. find your to podcast? answer your question, Reese, yes. <laughs> nzeveridayinvestor.com or just go onto your favorite pop podcast player and search for the NZ Everyday Investor. That's the best place. Yep. Just go there. Or um, I think um, like I'm on, I think it's Ungaro Darcy on Twitter or um, Darcy Ungaro, I can't remember, but I'll, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll, be I'll post everything yeah. in the YouTube links and cool. Spotify and all that as well, your okay, social media. Thank you. And you have a financial advisor website as well, eh? Yeah, ungaro.co.nz, yep. U-N-G-A-R-O.co.nz. Cool. Cool. Darcy, this has been great. Good, man. Glad we finally made it happen. That's right, yeah. It's been like six six months in the making at least. Yes. Well yes. done. What we got here. Good. All right, everyone, that's the show. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe, and make sure you follow. Darcy's our podcast for all the best financial advice. All right. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Thanks, man.